Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading is from Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors to gather and say, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning. How's everybody this beautiful day? Good. Um, How many of you have ever played hide-and-go-seek? Yeah? Are any of you really good at it? where you have to kind of go so that people can find you or you maybe clear your throat or make some movement so that people can actually find you when you're hiding? Well, what would happen if you were playing hide-and-go-seek and you were so good at hiding that they couldn't find you and it took so long that you fell asleep while you were hiding? Does that happen to you? Yep. And they're looking for you and they're looking for you and they can't find you. You think they'd say, oh, well, let's go have a snack. We'll figure out where they are later. You think they would do that? (laughs) You think they might? (laughs) I don't know. What if it was your family? Would your family do that? They'd say, oh, we'll go out to eat, and when we come back, we'll find Freddie. (laughs) Well, I would hope not. I would hope that wouldn't be the case. Your family would? Well, you know, you're not lost. You know where you are. Right? So you're not lost. I don't know why they're so worried. You know where you are. They just don't know where you are. And you're not with the people you belong with. And that's kind of like our stories today. There was the shepherd who was missing a sheep and the woman who was missing a coin. The sheep wasn't with the person it belonged with. The coin wasn't with the person it belonged with. And the person... The the shepherd and the woman, they searched and they searched and they searched. And that's kind of like us. We belong to God. We're Jesus' sheep. But sometimes we get a little distracted or maybe we fall asleep or maybe we just kind of go our own way and wander over here to see what's going on or we just kind of hole up and pull the world in around us and say, I'm not going out today. We're kind of like these lost things. We know where we are, but we're not with the person we need to be with. 
And you know what? When we're away from God, he doesn't ever stop searching for us. He doesn't say, oh, well, I've got all those other fine people at that church. I don't need this one. Or I've got all these people in Southbridge, in Massachusetts, in the world. I don't care about that one. That's not the way God operates. God is going to say, yep, these people are great. They're on the right track. They're, they're growing. I'm going to go find that one. Because that one is almost more important than all the rest. Because that one needs to be with me. And that's what our scripture is all about today. It's about finding that one, that one sheep, that one coin, that one person who isn't with the one they belong with, Jesus. So, next time you're playing hide-and-go-seek, don't give up finding the person that's hiding. And don't forget that we belong to Jesus, and he searches for us constantly. He wants us to be part of his fold. And what happens when the, the shepherd finds the sheep and the woman finds her coin? What do they do? They rejoice. And there is so much rejoicing in heaven when one lost person is found. That it, Talk about a party. It's pretty amazing. I haven't been there, but I've heard. Um, and I could just imagine what it would be like. And part of the reason we're here is to rejoice especially when we find someone that comes to us or we can reach out and show God's love and let, God, let them know that God hasn't given up on them. God is going to seek them until they find him and can be part of the congregation, part of the family of God, and there'll be so much rejoicing. And that's what we can do here at church, too. We rejoice, right? So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you do seek us even when we go astray, even when we pull the world into the hole over us and say, we're not coming out, even when we fall asleep and forget about you, we thank you that you never give up on us, that you search for us constantly. Help us to respond so that we can be part of the rejoicing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are the sheep of your pastor, pastor and the flock under your care, and we look to you, our good shepherd, to show us what you would like us to know from you, to lead us into those good pastures. We ask that we will be attentive and alert to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about parties. So let's keep talking about parties. I like it. Um, we're going to have a party next month, as I announced, um, the, my birthday party. Hopefully the weather will be good and we can have it outside, out there. Um, and maybe some people we don't know will join us. We'll be inviting people, but you know, people walk by here. We can give them a hamburger or whatever. Um, that would be really fun. I think. This is what I like about parties. I told you about the parties I used to have in London. Um, and this is kind of, yeah, kind of my thing. I just, I'm the most extroverted introvert I know. <laughs> What's that, Freddie? 
Well, I mean, it was sort of my idea, so I guess I can't surprise myself. I guess I could surprise myself. Whatever. Anyway, there is a downside, though, sometimes to parties. What's the downside? They are a lot of work. Clean up. Costs. What's that? Party crashers? Okay. A rain out? They can be disappointing. Run out of food. People have to leave afterwards. That's true. What's that? No one comes. Yeah, that. I, I've had that kind too. That's you're right. That's a downside. There's another downside though. If it's not your party, you ever get annoyed, when, especially in the summertime, when you have neighbors and they're having a party and it's really loud, and they might be being totally appropriate, they might be celebrating something great, but you are tired, and you're trying to get to sleep, and there's this noise happening. We used to have neighbors that had a pool in their backyard, and they also had young kids, and like every night, all summer long, and I worked at Starbucks, and so I would have to get up at three in the morning, and I was not a fan of those parties. <laughs> So, in our passage today from Luke 15, which Mark read for us, thank you, Mark, um, the Pharisees' reaction to Jesus is starting to become more and more like the grumpy neighbor who doesn't want the party that they're not at to keep going on. They're like the ones that call the cops and say, there's a noise violation going on here, except what they actually do is... They get upset because, Luke tells us, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Basically, they're saying, he is partying with the wrong people. So this actually follows on from what we talked about last week. Um, last week's chapter, chapter 14, Jesus is at a party and he's telling those people they're partying with the wrong people, um, all their friends and the people that could actually pay them back. And then he talks about the great banquet, <coughs> excuse me, at the end of the age, and how the king has this, or the master has this banquet, and he, all the people he invited have excuses not to show up. And so he sends his servants out, and they bring in all the, the riffraff off the street and the people from out of town, and they just drag in anybody to, um, to fill this party up because the king just really wants to celebrate with people. And so that's, that's kind of what's going before this. But then in between that parable and what we're going to look at today is the parables about the cost of being a disciple, which we already talked about, the ones about you know counting the costs before you build a tower and counting the costs before you go into battle against an opposing king. If you were a king and this other king had a bigger army, would you go to battle? So, so there's this, hey, there's a party. Be, you're going to be surprised at who's there. And then there's, a, there's actually a cost to following me, though. And now he's talking about, he's go going to talk about things that are lost and things that are found. Jesus has already told the Pharisees and the teachers of the law 
that the feast at the king, in the kingdom of God, the party at the end of the age, is going to be opened up to the people who, in their minds, are undesirable. So it, doesn't, it seems like kind of crazy that they're so upset right now that there are tax collectors and sinners there because he already said those people are going to be included. But the reason that they can't get happy about this is because they see themselves as different. One of the things that the gospel does is it levels out the playing field. Nobody really has a right to think of themselves as or their group of people as my people and everybody else as those people. The us and them boundaries start to fall apart. The Pharisees and the Torah teachers think that they are special because they know the law, the, the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. They, they know it backwards and forwards. They know how to live right. And all these poor people, riffraff, people who are working compromised jobs like the tax collectors or some stories we know that prostitutes hung out with Jesus, people that have these jobs that are not socially acceptable, um, those people are those people. They are unrighteous. They are either literally or morally filthy those, keep them over there. Please, Jesus, why are you letting these people come and listen to what you're saying? They, they don't, these people don't know what to do with that. Anyway, they're not smart enough. They're not skilled enough. They don't have the background. They are upset. They think that they are different. So, in this context, in this frame, Jesus tells three parables, one after the other, that invite the Pharisees and the Torah teachers to look at things a little differently. We need to take notice of the fact that there are three of these parables. When there are three of anything, this is generally true in literature, but in the Bible, three is a significant number. This means what Jesus is going to teach here is really, 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 really important. <laughs> I know that was more than three. <laughs> I wasn't counting. I was I was on a roll. Five. Okay. Okay. Well. Anyway, um, so all three of these parables are Jesus' way of inviting the Pharisees to the party too. We already know the tax collectors and the sinners are invited to the party. Jesus already told that parable. Now Jesus is inviting the Pharisees and the Torah teachers to the party. There is reason to celebrate here, guys. You can come too, he's saying. So we're going to look at one of them next week, because that's how important these are, and we wouldn't be able to get, do a good job with it if we tried to jam all three of them in today. We're going to look at two today. These parables hint to Jesus' critics that they and the tax collectors and the sinners are actually the same. The only difference between anybody is that someone is lost and someone is found. 
So, somebody tell me what happens in the parable of the lost sheep. Real quick. Yes. Perfect. To reiterate for the live stream. Um, sheep gets lost. Shepherd leaves his 99 other sheep, goes to find the other one, finds it, brings it back, and has a party about it. Great. This is a good parable for Jesus to start this set of three with because the sheep and the shepherd analogy is familiar to the Jewish people of this time. King David was a shepherd, and he's their ideal king. He, before he became a king, he was a shepherd, and God is described in parts of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, as the good shepherd of his people, notably Ezekiel. And by this point, it's possible that Jesus has already dis also described himself as the good shepherd. We don't know when in relation to these parables that happens, because John is the one who records that teaching. But Jesus considers himself the good shepherd. So Jesus actually invites the Pharisees and the Torah teachers to imagine themselves as the shepherd in this case. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses them. He's inviting them into this story. They can put themselves in the story. If they can do that, they might be able to hear better what he has to say. And he's giving them the role, he's inviting them into the role of the shepherd himself so that they don't immediately feel alienated. Oh, he's making us the dumb sheep that runs away. He's, he's inviting them, to, but he's also not making them the sheep that are on the hillside. He's inviting them to the perspective of the shepherd. And in the Kingdom New Testament translation, um, instead of it saying, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of, them, one of you, doesn't he go find it? That, that translation has Jesus saying, you would, of course, go look for your sheep. So it makes it even more personal. Here's something that I wonder, because I am not a shepherd, I'm not a farmer. Why wouldn't the shepherd just count the one sheep as a loss? Anybody know? Okay. Oh, wow. That's cool. Okay, to summarize, Sandy just said <laughs> that the shepherds really do know the individual members of the flock really well, really personally. Here, though, from a non-shepherd's perspective, I was thinking about this, and I was like, lots of things can happen to sheep. David points this out before he takes down Goliath. He says, you know, I've had to fend off lions and bears. And so the fact that the sheep is missing might not be the sheep's fault, right? Something might have gotten to it. So if, the, if an animal took the sheep, the shepherd's not going to get it back. If the sheep really did run off and get itself into some kind of terrible situation. Here's me, non-shepherd, speaking. Why spend so much energy looking for a stupid sheep? 
If sheep are stupid, as I've repeatedly been told they are, why would the shepherd leave, this is my real question, why would the shepherd leave the remaining 99 dumb sheep in the open field and go look for one? If they're that dumb, who's to say they're going to be there when he gets back with the one? The thing that all of these thoughts and imaginings and questions bring up to me is, what kind of God do we even have? This is amazing. Sometimes it feels to me like Jesus is kind of exaggerating. Would a shepherd really call his friends and neighbors to celebrate if he found his lost sheep? Well, probably, if Sandy is correct, which I believe she is, and Jesus says, you would do this, Anyway, this shepherd in Jesus' story definitely would have a party for the one sheep that was lost that he found. Hey, Pharisees and Torah teachers, there's a party in the kingdom of the heavens every time one lost person is found for the kingdom. Every time. Here's something to note, too. Because Jesus invites them into the perspective of the shepherd, he's inviting them to celebrate. Why don't you guys celebrate when a lost one is found? Hey, guys, think about it like this. But also, is there any chance you would like a party to be thrown for you? This is a question that kind of underlies this story because Jesus, because Jesus doesn't identify his listeners, the Pharisees and the Torah teachers, with either type of sheep, either the already found sheep or the lost sheep, it's not clear which one they are. Right? You always think those people are the lost sheep. But maybe they're not. Everybody is everywhere in this parable. Jesus has invited them into the perspective of God. Maybe they are the found sheep. Maybe, they, maybe these Pharisees and these Torah teachers and us church folk are safely grazing in the open field, and we trust the shepherd enough to stay put while he scours the hillsides looking for the member of the one lost member of our flock. Or maybe we or some of us in here are the lost sheep. Hold that thought. Then he gets to this lost coin parable. <clears throat> so when the Bible in general, and when Jesus in particular does things three times, every single time is kind of reemphasizes the other one, but also shares something a little bit different. And so each time it opens up more truth about God. So what does this parable add to the group of three? This one feels like the most, I'll just tell you, next week's is the prodigal son. That's the climax of these three parables. This one just feels kind of boring, like... There's a coin. She lost it. Oops. Anybody ever lose a thing? Yeah. Like, that happens all the time. What does this add? Well, for us, I think 
and, and especially for the people Jesus is talking to, what this adds, for one thing, there's a few things, but for one thing, it adds a woman's perspective. I did a little research, because I was like, you know, maybe in the first century, Jewish teachers would include stories about women when they were teaching too, but I couldn't find anything that indicated that. Jesus was a little bit unique in bringing women into his stories. And this doesn't have to be a giant, a giant deal, but I think it is a little bit significant just because even today, if you go to traditional churches and it's a Bible-believing church and you're reading the Bible, everybody is expected to learn from the stories of the men, right? But very, very rarely are stories of women used to teach everybody. You know, women are asked to say, okay, imagine if you were Peter, but very rarely are men in a congregation asked to imagine if you were Naomi or something like that. Jesus is asking these people who think that there's an us-them thing, that they're better, and they're men, <coughs> to imagine themselves <coughs> in the situation of a woman. And the reason why this is a woman's story is because in this case, the coins that are being referred to are probably this woman's livelihood or even her dowry, her, what she has to bring to a marriage if she's going to get married. This was very important in that culture. Now, in our day and age, this doesn't really work. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be a woman's perspective. Just this week, I was talking to a male friend who was telling me a story about he had he had been engaged, and the engagement was broken off, and his ex-fiance gave him back the, the engagement ring. Um, and then when he met <coughs> the woman that he is now married to, excuse me, <coughs> um, he wanted to give her a ring, and he wanted to sell the original one and give her one of her own, but he couldn't find it. So it kind of flips the context. Um, it works for men in, in our culture, but it doesn't... It didn't work, this story wouldn't have worked for a male perspective um, in their culture. We've already talked in this series about how single or widowed women were very disadvantaged at this time period. And so if a woman has 10 coins and she loses one and they are her livelihood or her dowry, that's a tenth of everything that she has to work with. That's a big deal. It's not like I lost a quarter or something. Something about this shows us, in a, on a new level, the value of one person. If the shepherd loses one sheep out of a hundred, it's a living being, and that's valuable, but it's one out of a hundred. If this woman loses a coin, one out of ten, it's not a living being, but it is very valuable to her. Every human being, just one loss, is incredibly, incredibly valuable. This is so significant for this woman that when she finally finds her one lost coin, she tells her friends and neighbors about it, and they get why it's a big deal, and they celebrate it with her. 
But here's something I want to make sure that we also understand. A human being is valuable, but not only because of their usefulness. We have a small church, and so everybody counts on that level because we all need everybody to do stuff because we just don't have enough of us for nobody to not do stuff. But if it ever gets to the point where one of you is incapacitated in some way so that you can't do anything, do anything, you are still valuable here. You are still a part of this congregation. You are still part of this church family. You're still part of the body of Christ. Jesus doesn't make this only about utilitarianism, what the sheep can do for the shepherd or what the coin can do for the woman. The sheep for the shepherd could be a source of food and could be a source of income, but Jesus doesn't draw the analogy in that direction. He implies that the shepherd looks for his sheep because he loves the sheep, not because of what it can do for him, because he cares about the sheep itself. And a coin for a woman on her own could be a source of financial help or a promise of security for the future, but even taking that into account, and the story doesn't work without that element, Jesus still doesn't focus on that. The coins may also have been a source of ornamentation. She might have worn them, and they also might have had some kind of uh, family connection or meaning. I have, I have my wedding ring from Paul, or my engagement ring from Paul, but my wedding ring is actually my great grandmother Brobeck's ring. It is very tiny. They've been fused together, and I can't take them off my hand right now. Um, the, my great-grandmother's ring has three very, very, very tiny stones on it. Two of them are rubies, and one is this teeny little diamond. And at one point, the reason my rings are fused together is because this kept happening, actually. The prongs that held the rubies on kept bending open. And I was at, you guys ever been to the sole proprietor? I haven't been there recently, but it's not very bright in there, right? <laughs> I, I was in there with some family one time, and all of a sudden I looked down and I realized one of the rubies had popped out of my ring. This ruby is probably not worth a whole lot. The ring itself is probably not worth a whole lot, to be honest. But I didn't want to not have that ruby. It was my great-grandmother's. So I don't know how God helped me find it because I had to search all over my seat and in the dark, and the ruby is not exactly a bright, shiny stone either. Somehow I found it. So that's kind of the, the feeling that this parable has too. This coin has meaning to this woman. It's not just use, it's meaning. God values us for who <coughs> he made us to be. And that's not just what we can do, but who we are. He goes to the ends of the earth for us, not primarily, not first and foremost, so that we can do something for him or so he can get something out of us. He does it because we matter to him personally. We are made in his image. No matter how lost we are, there is something of God in us. He wants to bring us home to himself, 
to the relationship that we were made for. So Jesus says, listen, Pharisees and Torah teachers, these tax collectors and sinners are as precious to God as you are. And you are as precious to God as they are. In verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Quick question. Does anyone not need to repent? Everybody needs to repent. (laughs) That's right. No one's perfect. Verse 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. N.T. Wright says, Jesus is not saying that lost people were simply to be accepted as they stand. Sinners must repent. The lost sheep and the lost coin are found, but Jesus has a different idea to his critics of what repentance means. For them, nothing short of adopting their standards of purity and law observance would do. For Jesus, when people follow him and his way, that is true repentance. So in these two stories, what repentance looks like is the sheep and the coin are found. They don't make their own way back. They are carried. Here's something I recently learned. The Hebrew word for forgiveness in the Old Testament is carried. Anytime, it's not just Jesus who carries our sins. If you forgive someone truly, you are carrying their sin. You are not holding it against them. You've taken it from them, and you're carrying it. And so this coin and this sheep are carried back to where they're supposed to be. When Jesus forgives us, his forgiveness carries us back to God. They don't stay where they got lost. The shepherd doesn't say, oh, there you are, dumb sheep. Okay, come back when you're ready. And the woman doesn't say, oh, there's my coin. You know what, I'll just leave it here, and if I need it, I'll, I'll know where it is. No, they get it. They bring it back to where it's supposed to be, and they celebrate it. And this, in this way, the sheep and the coin both are able, enabled to be what they are rather than being mauled by a wild animal or breaking their leg in a ravine or, in the case of the coin, gathering dust behind a dresser. Everybody needs to repent, as Sam said. Two more questions. First question, who, referring back to last week, gets to go to the banquet? Everybody, what's that? Everybody who will, yes. Everybody who's willing, and in the way that Jesus tells that story, it's the people who are found, the people who are found in the alleyways and in the town and in the country roads. Who, in our frame story today, is not celebrating with Jesus? The Pharisees and the Torah teachers. The tax collectors and sinners are all gathering around to hear Jesus. They're already participating in the party. The Pharisees and the Torah teachers are the ones who are grumbling and criticizing Jesus, and they're putting up barriers and walls so they cannot be found. They're not letting him in. They're not letting him find them. 
There is no difference between them and the tax collectors and sinners in need, except that somebody's lost and somebody's found. But it may not be the people that we thought or that they thought. The Pharisees may have assumed that the sinners were the lost ones, but the sinners, so-called sinners, were already gathering around to hear Jesus. They were already celebrating. The Torah teachers were the ones missing the party. Jesus is hinting in these parables, these two and the one we'll look at next week, that the great banquet we talked about last week is already happening. It's already happening. This isn't only some feast at the end of the age. Jesus is saying every time somebody lost is found, there's an epic party in the heavens. Every time someone, else, someone lost is found, there's another person to participate in the answer to Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If there is a banquet happening in the heavens already, that's God's will. Which means, what is a great way to cause God's will to be done on the earth as it is in the heavens? Let's party! Yes! And let our lives be Jesus' parties. Let's consistently turn our lives, our days, our thoughts, our actions over to Jesus. Jesus is actually fun. Jesus wants to have parties. When we, do, when we actually turn ourselves over to him, I think sometimes we, we resist doing that because we're a little scared he's going to turn us into boring people. But I think the opposite is going to happen. When we spend time with outcasts and misfits like us <laughs> and celebrate Jesus around them, around each other. And when somebody lost is found, throw a party or something. That is the thing that helps lost people get found. People want to be part of that. People see that and they're like, whoa, I've never seen anything like that before. I want to be part of that. We have all been lost. Maybe some of us are still lost. Interestingly, these parables, all, everybody's a sheep, but one sheep is lost. Everybody's a coin, but one coin is lost. They don't differentiate between Christians and non-Christians or even Jews and non-Jews. It is, where are you in relation to Jesus? Sometimes those of us who are Jesus' own people get a little lost. So this, these parables can apply to any of us at any time. We've been in that boat. We might be in that boat now. All of us, all of us are valuable human beings who have been found and carried to the heart of God. Or maybe God is still searching for you waiting for you to let him find you. Will you let him find you? When he does, he'll say, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. And there will be a party for you in the heavens. 
And we'll throw a party for you here too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you like parties, that you celebrate, that you celebrate the people that you've made in your image and you want to bring us back more and more into who you created us to be in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anybody here that has not let you find them, found, find them yet, Lord, I pray that, um, that they will open themselves up to you, that they will give you a little glimpse into who they are and that you will get a glimpse into, they will get a glimpse into who you are. Um, Lord, I pray that we will be a people that celebrates that celebrates you so that the lost can be found and brought home. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.